You're listening to Cannabinerds, exploring the social, political, and scientific worlds of cannabis. This week, we talked to Dre Alexitos and the science behind extraction. Dre is a high-yield extraction consultant who will rapidly bridge the strategic vision and implementation gap for startups and firmly establish extraction facilities alike. We discuss what it takes when labs get biomass to when that product is on the shelves, vertical integration, and ethical practice in this industry are what he preaches if this industry is to continue successfully for the public's best interest. Thank you for listening. everybody to another fabulous episode of cannabinerds rachel is here so am i and we actually have another cannabinerd we are graced with this is dre alexitos he is extraction extraordinaire basically but anyway i'm gonna i'm gonna stop talking and i'm just gonna ask right off the bat dre what's one thing you find interesting about yourself that not many people would know oh man that's kind of interesting um (laughs) didn't expect that one well I grew up in Long Island and, uh, you know, started pretty early in a, in a fairly troubled zone. And uh, my parents were a little anti-drug um, and they didn't you really provide the best education. So, you know, after the 90s rave scene, I got out of New York and I uh, went directly to Colorado, given my interest in the medical marijuana scene that was developing out there. Nice. Um, so yeah. that provided some opportunities. For sure. Um, I moved with some friends, but uh, soon kind of I was on my own and I had to make a living by any means um, while I was uh, studying the developments in the cannabis trade. And, um, you know, with the lack of open source info, the learning curve for cultivation extraction was a little tough at that time, especially when you're on the budget that I was at. Mm -hmm. Um, But through trial and error, I got the hang of it. guess that doesn't really answer your question, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think many people know that I'm from the East coast. Yeah. yeah. Long and, Island uh, of Colorado. That's it's a long way. Yeah. <laughs> I well, do have a lot of uh, multifaceted interests that would be surprising. I'm huge on coffee to be honest. Oh, uh, my second. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. So uh, you, you, uh, not only extract you, you, um, you train people how to extract you're a consultant for different companies and i'm just wondering uh how does someone get into that line of work oh that's an interesting question as well well um you know i wouldn't honestly say i was qualified unless i had several um supervisory positions that kind of got me um comfortable as well um over the past uh decade or so i've had a a string of um you know rather long-lasting um cannabis positions um and that covers everything um in the extraction space solvent based um to mechanical and heat and pressure separation um and along the lines of um the course of those employments i was able to train many many wonderful employees uh, in the arts that i was also learning at the time right Um, do you have your own company Right now, I do consulting under an LLC called Alchemy Academy. Okay. 
and um, it's uh, it's been pretty cool ride. It's uh, I'm in a low volume area, but I try to help out uh, smaller scale providers as best I can in the medical cannabis space, bringing in them know how from you know Colorado and some of the other places that I've been and work. Um, so that that I do on a small scale, and then there's a quite a bit going on in the hemp field out in the hemp space out here. Um, they planted a lot of acres over the past couple of years um, with varying degrees of success. And uh, through experience with that, I've, uh, you know, gotten, well, the companies leaned on me for developing um, all the processes and identifying all the equipment necessary and writing all the processes and procedures and teaching everybody. Um, giving them, you know, training in a in in a safe and responsible manner. Right, um, right. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's a lot going on in that. That's how I came into being comfortable as a consultant. Um, and through the various amount of time that I've been in the space and the various applications that I've worked at. At this point, I have a fairly well-rounded end-to-end view of extraction as a whole and uh, can explain the various aspects um, to uh, well-adept employees fairly, fairly adequately, fairly well, efficiently. Okay, so say I am a... A manufacturer, right? Mm-hmm. And I hire you. You come in, and what 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 is your first thing you do? Uh, just take us through the journey of what you would do with a company. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you know, a, a really good discovery phase uh, conversation is in order to get a really good feeling um, and to identify your levels of alignment to see where they're at and maybe give an initial assessment of the situation and mm-hmm. how you can help. Okay. After after that is done, kind of develop a project plan. Um, now this is individual to the to that client, but it, it can be um, you know several days to be at several months of you know an end-to-end extraction platform um with equipment identification installation verification um the whole nine yard okay and uh that involves uh, training and uh writing of occupational um health and safety manuals and uh, uh standard operating procedures for every single end-to-end process that uh, the employees would come in contact with, mm-hmm. as well as, um, you know, other uh, safety emergency procedures, a whole suit of uh, written and verbally trained information um, would, uh, would accompany a standard consultation course. So do you do, do you do the consultating console? <laughs> the consultation? <laughs> yes. Do you do the consultations for mostly hemp or do you do THC extractions as well? Or what do you have a specialty yes. in that? Yes and yes, and anything okay. in between. Okay. My heart's uh, very much with uh, the medical um, medical marijuanas uh, yeah. and the providerships involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a, a great, <laughs> I really do enjoy the benefits of recreational um, of course. legalization <laughs> in the states that that applies to as well. Yeah, cool. It's, there's just a, a remarkable 
<clears throat> amount of uh, choice out there. And uh, the way things have developed, there's so many different processes and procedures and different ways to get to a certain type of end product that it's really mind boggling. Um, maybe we can discuss some of those later on in the, in the conversation, yeah. but uh, yeah, there's, um, there's everything um, from absolute connoisseur pristine level solventless extractions of the five, six star level um, to, you know, high volume um, hemp manufacturing from low quality biomass to isolated molecules. How much biomass do I need to, what's the final product? You know, how much biomass is involved to get an X amount of product? That's a, that's a good question. And uh, to be honest, in the THC space, that varies uh, across the board. Um, right, give yeah. you desired end product. Let's kind of narrow that down to maybe um, a hemp processor doing a certain amount of product a year. Mm-hmm. Say their goal is to do, you know, 50,000 pounds on kind of a, a normal, a normal work schedule throughout the year. Okay. And they'd be doing, you know, maybe 200 pounds a day. Okay. Um, if you're, if you're doing that, you know, to a certain degree of efficiency and your, your potency might be around, uh, let's say 8% on a starting material, often it's lower, rarely it's higher, but 8% is where a lot of people are at. Okay, so you get um, 200 pounds a day. How much? Uh, mm-hmm. How many tinctures is that going to make at the end? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Maybe uh, we won't leave it all the way to the tinctures because that varies widely on, on your formulation right. and what okay. you yeah. want to go to. But uh, on the basic end-to-end extraction, I guess we can go, give me one second, down to a single molecule here, that being CBD in this uh this instance but hey you're doing 200 pounds a day you might get around three 3.2 liters of crude and this is your initial raw crude you know that's maybe like a 6.4 um extraction yield um after you put that crude through some uh post extraction process refinement steps you're going to lose a little in that process let's call that uh de-wax and decarb loss you might lose 10 percent um, is that 10% that of product. the biomass? Oh, 10% of no, the, no, the three no, liters, no. right? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that's what you're going to get your 3.2 liters um, uh, out of your 200 pounds, you know, if you do it, you know, at a certain efficiency, be okay. that 6.4. But uh, say say you do have, like, um, like you said, the 3.2 liters. Out of that, through the post-extraction refinement processes, you're likely to lose... Now this can this varies widely, um, but let's just call it ten percent in your de-wax and decarb process. Then you're going to be left with um, two point two point eight liters of prepared crude, as I like to call it, fully de-waxed, decarboxylated um, crude oil. And that's the nice the, stuff. the stick, the real dark, sticky stuff that then you would cut with MCT oil or whatever. Right. Exactly. But that's often put to another step of another set of refinement processes to get it, um, you know, to to compliance. But uh, you are exactly right. Right. With your description of the crude Um, from um, from that, uh, let's say the two point eight liters that you got out of that. 
if you wanted to refine that further into a distillate, you know, you might um you might capture fifty five percent of that and end up with maybe one point six liters of distillate and this is still not tea free at this time wow um we're not going to go into that remediation process because that's a little intricate and that that varies widely but you started with 3.2 liters of crude and now you got 1.6 um liters of distillate it's very high quality though you um good stuff um but you see these are conservative loss rates um, now, it can be slightly higher, slower, given uh, the efficiencies of your process, but I'm just shooting real general numbers at you right now. Well, yeah, it sounds so, like so you got then, like a lot of numbers floating around there. It's, it's pretty incredible. It's a lot of loss. It sounds, I mean, as far as, you know, you start with 200 pounds. So what happens with all of the, the product that is, you know, essentially like the product waste that is not used in the final product? Yeah, the majority of your initial biomass waste, mm-hmm. um, we can talk about uh, waste management uh, a little bit down the line if you, if you want to ask again. But uh, for purposes of that, most of your biomass, except for your cannabinoid content um, that's captured in the solvent, right. is going to be considered a, a byproduct or a waste at this point. Okay. Now, there's a lot you can do with that. Um, that's open, uh, for discussion and, yeah. uh, you know, the best ways and the best practices are probably yet to be identified, but there's a lot of hope. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What would you, uh, what's your first recommendation for the biomass, the, the waste well, for the company, for that, the company that you're working for? Um, that, that completely depends on, uh, the extraction process that's used. There's various degrees of degradation to your end product. Okay. Um, let's say if you're doing, uh, not to get off topic on the hemp thing, but uh, uh, if you're doing a solventless um, biomass uh, or solventless, let's say, wood or hash extraction for high-quality bubble hash that you're going to turn into rosin down the line, mm-hmm. you could theoretically, because um, it still contains minor amounts of cannabinoids. You just mechanically sheared the trichome heads off and collected those as your bubble hash. However, there's all that wet material left over. That's a form of waste. Um, theoretically, you could just dry that out and pla- and uh, use it um, in fields or use it, you know, mix it into your, your grow mix. Mm-hmm. Um, there's various applications for that. It's just kind of inert. Uh, biomass at, at that time. Now, and that's not really done at a scale that's, uh, you know, totally worrisome and it will just biograde, you know, right back into the environment, right, right. being it just wet, wet plant material. Yeah, um, if there were hydrocarbons um, introduced and in, say uh, hydrocarbon, like a butane propane extraction process, mm-hmm. Um, those being very light can also be removed from the plant material fairly easily. Um, however, there will be traces of it. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's debatable whether that's ethical just to throw it out 
where animals and other things can start eating it. Plus, the rain may wash out some of the residual solvents, okay. and that may get, you know, that may cause certain environmental uh, unsavory aspects to it, may yeah. have certain unsavory environmental aspects to it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, it also could create a, uh, a fire hazard depending on the level of uh, hyd- um, residual hydrocarbons mm-hmm. left in that spent plant material. Now, that, wi- that varies, again, wildly depending on the process and the methodologies used. And that, that's, that's just with the butane? Yeah, that's okay. with the butane and the spent... Um, <clears throat> the spent uh, biomass from that process, which should honestly be kept in a class one division one um, classified zone until it's um, devoid of hydrocarbon vapors and safe to remove out of that zone. Um, But that still could contain PPM traces, which may have uh, some environmental aspects. I'm not thinking about if used as feed or for other, um, you know, biodegradable purposes uh with ethanol you may have the same um it could have the same aspect to it and that's often done on a on a larger scale so you'd have the um the flammable vaporous aspect to um ethanol extracted biomass and um, unfortunately a lot of people use denatured ethanol in the in the hemp space in the high volume hemp extraction space and that's um often ethanol with uh, a bit of heptane in it. So is that something you find in like the cheaper CBD oils and stuff that you're seeing, you know, at gas stations and stuff, you're seeing that kind of that, those are very. Those are most likely extracted with denatured alcohol. Yeah. But to be honest, a lot of the CBD products that you see out there, um, regardless of their uh, their cost or distribution, are extracted with denatured alcohol. The excise tax on... Uh, regular drum alcohol at scale is uh, quite significant. So the only way to avoid that is by extracting with uh, denatured alcohol. This episode is brought to you by thehempjar.com. You know, CBD oil is everywhere. Gas stations, pillows, I've even seen it on pizza. It's hard to figure out where to start or what's even good. Neuroscientists and doctors are discovering that the more compounds in hemp or oil products, the more synergistic balance one can obtain. That's why products from the hemp jar contain every natural compound, about 480, not just the handful that common CBD oil provides. TheHempJar.com delivers the whole genetic code of the plant and delivers it right to your front door. Feel the difference by going to TheHempJar.com and entering in promo code CANNABINERDS10 for 10% off any order. Every natural compound giving the most relief for you and your wallet. TheHempJar.com, in its most natural form. Do you have a moment to just go into, I, I would love to hear about the different, you know, extraction methods like the CO2, butane, alcohol, you know, what's your, do you have a favorite way out of those? Yeah. Or, you know what? I'd love to I hear love, somewhere. That's a, that's a great question, but it may be a real long one, <laughs> real long conversation. Um, but I'm a huge fan of, um, oh man, this is going to take a while, but I'm a huge <laughs> fan of solventless concentrates, 
be it um, mechanically separated by uh, bubble hash um, or mechanically separated bubble hash that's um, pressed into a rosin. I really do enjoy that, uh, the full-bodied um, experience and the organ organoleptic qualities given um, the input material are just phenomenal. Okay. Um, I believe it represents the strain as best as a concentration process possibly could. So is that kind of similar to a live resin or I'm, I'm kind of new to the extract <laughs> world? Okay, so. no. Now let's get into live resin. Um, so that's a form of hydrocarbon extraction for the most part where um, basically fresh plant material is frozen and extracted and the water of the material the water in that material is held back due to the temperatures used in the extraction however some moisture is co-extracted anyway but um it is it seems to bring the terrapine fraction out the best um of the hydrocarbon concentrates now that's really debatable i actually like um <clears throat> like another form of hydrocarbon extraction using high quality dry cured buds um kind of in the same respect um but um formed into diamonds in, instead of a, a live resin um type extract now they're very similar and you can actually get the consist the same consistency okay. with both methodologies but I just really do like the the dried, high quality, cured um, <clears throat> resin extractions rather than a live um, plant material type extraction. Do you just uh, get a better I, yield I, I that way? That, well, yeah, a lot has to go with yield, and there's less co-extracted contaminant um, for the most part. In, uh, in my belief, plus um, you can do a good inline de-wax and uh, throw it through um, color uh, remediation column as well um, to, to enhance the, the color and some of the organoleptic quality. Uh, but yeah, those are both um, usually derived through a hydrocarbon extraction process. Right. And the differentiating factor in those, um, at least in the initial steps, is one is using um, fresh frozen plant material right. and one is using uh, dry cured um, buds and or trim. So when you flash freeze it, does it, does it I heard that uh, preserves the terpenes. Yeah. That does um, preserve most of the terpenes. Um, it's debatable. Well, terpenes are going to start flying off at 70 degrees Fahrenheit mm -hmm. um, from the time the plant is killed. And it's always... Um, uh, a struggle to preserve them, but since the time frame is so quick from harvest to extraction, it really does capture um, really fine organic, the really fine organoleptic qualities of that particular strain. Okay. However, I'm not a big fan of the yield and some of the consistencies that come about. Right. Um, I've seen some huge differences. Those, yeah, no, there really are. And I actually like the smells coming from uh, the dried cured extractions, um, be that in a uh, in a sugar or a, uh, a diamonds and sauce type consistency, which okay. happens to be my favorite. So the thing about hydrocarbon extraction is through manipulation of the process parameters and uh, your post-refinement methodologies, 
you you can make sugar, diamonds, sauces, isolated THCA products. The variability is uh, incredible with that particular process. Cool. Terpenes. This is what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. With them, it um, basically evaporating off, like you said, at 70 degrees Fahrenheit, and they completely start evaporating rapidly over 100 from what I've gathered. So how do you mm-hmm. how do you preserve, or do you... As well as cure it. I mean, or as well as cure it. Uh, is there any preservation left in terpene since they have a low flashing point, if you will? Or is there any kind of methodology where you would add terpenes back into a final product after it's distilled or isolated? That's a, it's a really interesting question. Um, a lot of that is outside of my control and outside of my space. A lot of it has to do uh, more in the cultivation, in the realm of cultivation and curing post-harvest best practice. Um, if those are kept to a certain specification, um, you know, for certain strains, it shouldn't be too hard to develop a regimen that preserves those particular terpenes um, for as long as, as long as possible. But it's all preparation. It's all fine-tuned handling and um, methodologies of storage there's a lot that goes into that. But once those terpenes are on the plant material right before um, I'm about to extract them, there's a lot that goes into the extraction process um, that would benefit in maintaining uh, the maximum amount of terpenes in that extract. And like we were discussing with the hydrocarbon um, methodologies, if you wanted to preserve the terpenes, you would limit your um, the amount of steps in the end-to-end process and limit the time frame involved and keep your parameters as gentle as possible with your purging methodology because at some point you're going to have to heat that extract to alleviate the residual hydrocarbon gas. But the hydrocarbon extraction process, in my opinion, preserves the terpenes the best outside of the solvent um, and mechanical separated space. You know, one thing that we have talked about before on this show, and a lot of people that uh, have questions about what we're talking about is, and, and in society in general, whether getting CBD at a gas station or uh, different various stores, and you just don't know what's in the bottle, how... How do you get, from when you get the biomass in, how can you fine-tune the process to get exactly what you want in your yield? Is that possible? And I guess the thing I'm trying to say is, on the label, is that necessarily what they're trying to accomplish during the process? Let me try to answer that. I don't think the um, manufacturing processes are described in depth whatsoever in the label and uh it's it's unfortunate that a lot of people should know what's going into these products and the solvents involved in the manufacturing process as well as how many times they're switching hands um there's there is backtracking information uh with reputable reputable companies right but um the extraction process um is 
<clears throat> fairly unknown to the general consumer. Right, right. If that a- answers your question at all. Well, yeah, I get it's it's hard to talk to companies because a lot of that is proprietary information and just how they do that. But it's one of those things that kind of gets lost. Like how how can I believe that the bottle, the label on the bottle, is exactly what I'm getting or what I want or what I need? I, are you talking um, that you're going to have to lean on the regulatory yeah. authorities and, uh, you know, the, the best practice management systems involved with the companies, um, they should be completely transparent. But um, when products are switching hands to hand to hand um, and across state lines, um, there's often lack of traceability to the original source where the biomass originally came from where it was delivered to for processing how it was processed Mm -hmm. what happened thereafter was it sold to a wholesale distributor and um product a wholesale um menu uh formulator and manufacturer did they break that down into many different products there's a, a whole um supply chain that would need to be examined in that and uh Vertical integration lessens the difficulties um, in that process, but a lot of the the products uh, in in general uh, retail stores, um, I, I assume that uh, <laughs> let's say the the it, the extraction has changed hands many times and become many different process in in the road to that final end product. Um, so full traceability end-to-end traceability in that respect is often difficult but should be expected reputable companies try to um manage their systems uh that way uh to replicate you know the pharmaceutical industry Mm -hmm. and uh you know uh best practices um in in the gmp space but uh yeah is that done um entirely or to a hundred percent degree no no there's uh there's a lot of uh maturation that needs to take place over the next couple of years before i believe that you're going to get a, a fully trackable traceable product right so what you're saying is you need good practices with uh, someone like you coming in, doing the right thing, the right time with the right materials and being responsible and ethical at the same time, as well as even in hand in hand, having a vertical, uh, what, you were, what was the vertical? Vertical right? integration. Vertical integration. You, Is that you, basically? You, yeah, sorry, go for it. Vertical integration. Oh, no, you, you really did um, uh, nail it there because a lot of the times it's just such a new in- industry. Um, it's a lot of the time it's the things that you don't know get you and it's not, it's not willful ignorance. Just a lot of the times they don't know that this is the right thing to do, or this is not the right thing to do, or you're, this, uh, should be done in this manner to improve efficiency by this percent and, or you're totally uh, damaging your target molecules if you're distilling at this temperature in this vacuum there's a lot of you know real granular knowledge that comes into place um with you know large-scale production um and actually scaling from a smaller scale process to a larger scale manufacturing facility creates its own unique uh challenges 
So if there is one thing that just one big takeaway to summarize everything we just talked about and and letting the consumer know in your expertise and knowledge and what you've seen, what you haven't seen, what you want to see, what would that be? Oh, legalization nationwide. But aside from that, <laughs> yeah, hallelujah, you, yep, amen. You're speaking to the right crowd. <laughs> hey, yes. Um, I know a lot of what we say is, uh, and it rings a bell with what you're saying too, is do your homework, uh, find companies that are transparent about the way they are uh, producing. As far as going to the website to see if they have any lab results, see what those lab results are, see where they're getting their product, their biomass, what farm that's coming from, all that kind of stuff. That's what we preach. That would be absolutely spectacular. And in due time, uh, hopefully sooner than later, that will happen. Um, and that's absolutely necessary. But I guess what I would um, I would like to see is better pricing in the medical space and, uh, let's say, uh, a more consistent model state to state. I have no idea why there are so many uh, restrictions in the, in the medical cannabis space on limitations, um, <clears throat> on purchase limitations, as well as the cost associated with these products is just astronomical. And if someone has medical needs that require high volume use, they, they shouldn't be penalized for that. That, that doesn't happen um, with other, um, you know, generally safe um, medicines. Right. Well, you, you kind of uh, remind me of a question that I wanted to ask, and that's uh, with the prices being in astronomically high, you know, with all mm -hmm. the tinctures and stuff like that. Is that mm -hmm. correlated to the extraction method because you need all these machines and chemicals and all that kind of stuff that are hard to get? and uh expensive to get does that cross over to the consumer or or is it does, is it not that expensive mm, well yes yes and no um it, uh, a lot of the price has to do with uh the the scales of economy um and uh the expertise necessary and uh the steps and time in in the methods of production okay. um how fine-tuned they want it yeah yes uh, but i think that reflects equally to the medical and the recreational space maybe more so in in the recreational space in in the medical space um the full capture of cannabinoids and um the potencies are really important and uh the methods of ingestion are are similar but often different. I feel the same product should be offered in both markets, but there should be a perhaps a higher emphasis on um, let's say high potency um, full spectrum extractions such as uh, you know uh, full spectrum extract ethanol oil or full spectrum distillates in uh, in gram. Uh, scale or higher quantities um, meant for ingestion. That's often not the case. Um, often these um, <clears throat> edibles are capped at something like uh, it varies state to state. Mm -hmm. But for instance, like 300 um, or you'd be only allowed to in my current state in Montana, 
they're um, they're revisiting some laws, and uh, one of the ones I'm a little worried about is uh, a cap on edibles allowing 800 milligrams per month. Um, no one really thought that out, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I could easily take that in today and uh, probably be even talking to you a little bit better than I am right now. <laughs> I often wonder that about myself, too, so <laughs> I don't feel alone. No, that's well, great. The, the, um, and the unfortunate thing is uh, some of the prices go from, uh, let's say, 60 to $70 for um, a 600 milligram, uh, you know, one milliliter syringe of RSO. And that's a, that's like a one-step extraction and uh, or, oh, well, it's an extraction and evaporation process. Mm-hmm. And you can do that as fine-tuned as necessary, but there's just generally not too much to it for, um, you know, that full spectrum extraction. Now it needs to be decarboxylated and it's often made into a distillate. I could see you adding some higher price for those additional, um, processes and the added potency, but, um, one gram of RSO should not cost more than 10 to $20 and a gram or milliliter, one milliliter of distillate shouldn't cost more than twenty to forty dollars. Well, I bet that would change from um, cannabinoid to cannabinoid or anything like that too. That would vary because there's different procedures with uh, you know temperatures and pressure pressures. I would that, think. Yeah. Well, if you wanted to make a really fine-tuned um, medical product that has a c- certain ratio of this cannabinoid and this cannabinoid, and it's geared for this specific effect uh that would justify higher pricing uh that would require a higher level of expertise in the manufacture of that product it shouldn't be that expensive absolutely and uh maybe it can uh be considered in the future um under uh an insurance you know type right type scenario as well hopefully for when these medical patients paying out of pocket it's (laughs) You know, doesn't. I mean, this is this is literally like people with um, grave illnesses and may not um, be making a spectacular amount of money at this point. And I just think it's slightly predatory to, uh, you know, price gauge on those particular. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, if people want to make money, they'll find a way to make money, you know. This is just no exception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's good people have like you that are telling people like us how it is, and I appreciate it a lot. And uh, just your knowledge and expertise going around the country, even um, serving as someone who is very ethical and teaching good practices is really key to making this industry go forward. So I really thank you for coming on and just sharing that and your knowledge. And I think we should do this again. Yeah, we can go more into depth into some of these things. (laughs) Because some of this stuff, you know, uh, (laughs) well, some of it went over my head a little bit and I want to really jump into it a little bit more. So I think there's plenty of opportunity. I know people listening right now will uh, will, uh, share the same sentiment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to get granular on singular topics. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) This is a good overview and uh, we'll have you on again. Definitely. (laughs) 
Awesome. It's been super fun, guys. I appreciate your time. Yeah, Absolutely. thanks so much. And is there anything that you want to plug or any? Yeah, where can people find you? If they want to, you if know, they have a question or uh, any kind of. Wow, that's that's awesome. And thank you. Um, I'm pitifully inactive on social media. However, uh, interestingly enough, I, uh, I have a little niche on LinkedIn. So, yeah, the best place to find me is Dre Alextos on LinkedIn. And you can message me through there. Great. Give him your love. <laughs> I appreciate this opportunity, guys. So, to sum up everything we've just heard, extracting cannabis is definitely a complicated science as well as an art. There are so many variables to get a specific outcome, and that outcome can dramatically vary. It is super critical to find reputable companies that post third-party lab testing reports on their websites. The more transparent the supplier is, the better off the public will be. I'm happy to have people like Dre Alexitos oversee and consult companies to be ethical and transparent in their processes. You've been listening to Cannabinerds, learning the social, political, and scientific worlds of cannabis. If you want to support us, give us a few stars or write a review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. That really helps us out a lot. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod. Or if you want to get in touch with us, you can go to CannabinerdsPodcast.com. I'm David, reminding you to stay safe, learn and teach others, and take care of each other. Thanks for listening. So, as you all know, we are cannabinoids, and that means we absolutely love bringing the cannabis industry to your ears and all of the details that come with that. But we also love your partnership and support. A lot of work goes into creating each episode and keeping it free for everybody. You can support cannabinoids continuing to do that by becoming a Patreon. Becoming a Patreon for Cannabinerds comes with several perks like ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, and even some sweet Cannabinerds t-shirts and hats. To become a Patreon, head over to CannabinerdsPodcast.com. Click on the Patreon button. It's that easy. It's been amazing being a part of Cannabinerds, so we invite you to join us so you can be a Cannabinerd too.